Stony Plain Records has just amalgamated with True North Records, and I asked Holger Peterson about this. Alvin Johns uh, and I, we started the label together, well, about 45 years ago now. Alvin was a little more keen to uh, to step back and retire and spend time with his family, and it just seemed like a good idea at the time as well. It still is a great idea. It allows me to continue to do the the, the kind of work I love to do, which is the creative part, working with artists and not have to worry about distribution and marketing and paying bills. So we sold the catalog and then we sold the publishing part of the catalog as well. Uh, the good people at True North, uh, Jeff Kulowick was uh, very kind in saying, well, what do you want to do for the rest of your while here? And uh, and I said, well, I want to just continue to work with artists and be executive producer on projects. Uh, so I'm kind of selectively doing that. So between my radio shows and uh, and working on records, um, I'm very uh, happy and and uh, I've got a lot less to worry about these days. I was very glad to see that you kept it Canadian and you kept it independent. Was that important in your decision making? Absolutely. We we um, we were courted. I guess we had offers from Americans as well. But uh, it was very important for me to uh, to do exactly what you said, keep it Canadian, and also work with a company that understood and had the same kind of vision that Stony Plains always had. True North were really, I guess, our competitors all these years. We were both, uh, you know, in the Roots music uh, field, Stony Plain much more in the blues area. But um, uh, I really respected what they did. Uh, Bernie Finkelstein started the company, and uh, he, of course, was Bruce Coburn's manager. They are a few years older than Stony Plain, and so we have a lot of shared history, actually. Stony Plain began in 1976, is that right? Yeah. I think Alvin and I registered the company in the fall of 1975. And the first uh, album that uh, that came out on the Stony Plain label uh, would have been the spring of 1976. And that would have been? Uh, Paul Han. Paul Han's album, yeah. Uh, another tumbleweed. <laughs> you now have 13 Junos and seven Grammy nominations? Well, that's kind of almost right. 15 Junos oh. and uh, six six Grammy nominations. Oh. It's pretty dandy. Uh, you've also got the Order of Canada. I have to say that you're the only person I know that has an Order of Canada. <laughs> two books, two terrific books, actually, and two radio shows. Thank you. What do you do in your spare time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I know when I look back, you know, uh, at uh, at at those years, um, very productive years. Uh, uh, I kind of shake my head and and go, "Wow, that was uh, how did that happen?" You know, um, because it, it you know it's a busy time, a lot of energy, a lot of travel, uh, a lot of work on on various music industry boards. You know, radio shows, um, Edmonton Folk Festival. Yes, you also ran the Edmonton Folk Festival for, for a while. I did for three yeah, years, yeah. yeah, and I totally loved it. But I just was kind of overwhelmed with too many things to do, too many good things to do, actually. To your mind, what were the highlights of the 40 years, 40-plus years uh, with Stony Plain, the big records, the ones that meant uh, a lot to you? 
you know, the highlights, uh, uh, when I think back, the very first album that I produced was actually in 1972, Pre-Stony Plain. And uh, it was at a time when I was doing radio shows, spending time doing radio shows uh, in recording studios. CKUA had a wonderful show, the Acme Sausage Company program, where we got to record live music and, and pay the artists. And, and I spent a lot of time in recording studios, recording, mixing, learning some craft there. And the first record I produced in 1972 uh, was Walter Shakey Horton with Hot Cottage. Uh, that meant a lot to me, and, and it still does. Uh, Walter Shakey Horton, a legendary blues harmonica player from Memphis and then Chicago, who recorded. He was one of the uh, players with Muddy Waters bands, played on lots of classic Muddy Waters, uh, recorded on his own, even recorded with uh, Peter Green and Fleetwood Mac. Uh -huh. He was in town with Willie Dixon's Chicago Blues All-Stars, and they had a few days off. And I got to know Willie a little bit, was hanging around, and he said, oh, why don't you come by and hang around the hotel? And, you know, that was a wonderful invitation. And that's mm -hmm. how I got to spend a little bit of time with Walter Horton. And he was a hero to me. And I was going in the studio with a local band, Hot Cottage. And I asked him if he'd be interested in coming in and playing harp on a couple of tunes. He agreed. And, um, and that was uh, the first record that I produced that came out on, on a record. Um, the song was called uh, uh, Joe Chicago, and it's had a long history. In fact, it's still the theme song for my CBC Saturday Night Blues show. So mm -hmm. it's always nice when something like that, you know, the very first record I produced in a studio with a legendary blues harmonica player uh, still has a life today. Well, I certainly still play it. Oh, great, thanks. <laughs> One of the things you did that I really was taken with was a few years ago, you put uh, four guitar players together, James Burton, Albert Lee, Dave Wilcox, and Amos Garrett, and recorded them live uh, at the Vancouver Island Music Festival. That's a real standout for me. Uh, was that a difficult project? Well, Doug Cox really deserves most of the credit for that. Uh, he, of course, is the artistic director and producer of Vancouver Island Music Fest. Doug is, is a presenter who has vision, and uh, it was really his vision to do that. Uh, I helped, uh, you know, with, uh, with David Wilcox and maybe a little with Amos Garrett. Doug was the one that had the vision. And four, you know, Telecaster players, legendary players, especially James Burton, who doesn't uh, have his name on a lot of records, on the cover of a lot of records. Although, of course, he's played on hundreds, you know, from um, Dale Hawkins, Susie Q to uh, Elvis and, and uh, all these legendary recordings with uh, people like Emmylou Harris and Graham Parsons. And so for him to, uh, to be there and then to be surrounded by people that he had been influenced, that he had influenced, uh, Albert Lee being the biggest one, I think. But it was just, it was so much fun. And it was, uh, it was history to be able to get those four players together. You know, we, uh, we didn't go out there uh, saying, well, we're going to have a record out of this. It's one of those things where you just do the best job you can in terms of um, getting a clean recording and having all the right people involved. And then afterwards, you know, saying, hey, that was great. What do you all think? Um, would you like to see a record released? And everybody was in agreement and was enthusiastic about it. Another thing uh, I think maybe is a highlight for you 
is uh, the incredible friendships you made over the time with Stony playing. I can think of Jay McShann, for example, and Long John Baldry. Yes. Well, I think all in all, uh, that's been the most uh, uh, rewarding part for me uh, to not only work with these people who are heroes to me, uh, but then, you know, get to know them and become friends with them. And in so many cases have, you know, really long term uh, projects that you're doing. I'm thinking of, you know, those people you mentioned are dear, dear friends. And, mm -hmm. and I had a chance to travel with them, uh, you know, with Long John Baldry. Um, I went to Europe, did uh, a tour of, of Australia with John and uh, hung out with him at festivals across the country and, and a bit in the States. The, uh, the wonderful relationship with Jay McShann, I look back and I just think that was fantastic. I met Jay McShann through Big Miller, who was a, a Edmondson-based singer who had Kansas City jazz roots. And Big Miller had been the, uh, the singer for Jay McShann's band for years. And that's how we met. And the more I got to know about Jay's incredible history and his recordings, which go back to 1941 uh, with Charlie Parker, and the more I got to know him, uh, he was a blues artist and he always considered himself a blues artist. But he wasn't, uh, I think, acknowledged as much in the blues field as he should have been. Um, so, you know, I started doing records with Jay McShann and, and we uh, we became friends. And as a result, um, I ended up doing a lot of his business. I ended up basically putting together a lot of dates for him uh, with uh, Duke Robillard's band because it was Duke that they were the perfect band to back up Jay McShann. So everybody was so pleased with that relationship. For several summers, um, I ended up, you know, accompanying Jay to various festivals, Monterey, Montreal, uh, North Sea Jazz Festival in Holland. I would be his road manager, and I had put together the dates. And, uh, and throughout that time period, we went in the studio several times. I think two of the projects were nominated for Grammy Awards. And Jay was just one of the legendary uh, people. The other thing I loved about working with Jay was his, of course, he's a pioneer of Kansas City jazz. That's a, um, a kind of music that I don't think is uh, appreciated enough in the blues world. It's There's so much joy there. You know, it's got that bounce, that swing, um, puts a smile on your face. It's all dance music and uh, great use of horn players. Jay really foreshadowed R&B music. Uh, so many of his hits from that time period his songs that were covered by the Stones and Little Walter and people like that. What a pleasure to be around such a nice man as well and to travel with him uh, and to spend time with him and, and to record, I think, some great records with him. Stony Plain has an incredible international lineup, but you also seem to take special effort to promote Canadian acts. Do you keep an eye out for Canadian bands and musicians? Absolutely. Uh, that's That's been a real priority. In addition to, um, you know, we've been talking about the blues side of Stony Plain. I think, you know, after Alvin and Johns and I started the label, it was about 10 years of, um, of working on my kitchen table before um, we actually got a big break. And that was uh, Ian Tyson. Thank you, Ian Tyson, for, you know, believing and trusting a, a small independent Alberta label. And that, of course, uh, you know, um, when we started working with Ian, it was an album called Cowboyography. 
1986, 87, 88, um, that record went on to have several hits. It was a gold album, uh, then a platinum album in Canada. We won Junos. We won several Canadian music, uh, country music awards. And that really kind of opened another door to Stony Plain. But what I really wanted to emphasize there is that, again, it's, it's an Alberta artist who mm-hmm. writes and sings about Alberta. And that was something I always had pride in. Our, our artists that did that and our artists that also, you know, sang about Canada. It was uh, very important to me to work with people like even Junior Gone Wild or, or the Shuffle Demons, Tim Huss, and uh, just so many other people that, uh, that were Canadians and sang about their country. Poor Blend, of course, we did three records with. Well, thanks for mentioning Junior Gone Wild, because I love Junior Gone Wild. I was wondering what you feel the virtues, the traits uh, to be successful in the music business, uh, the business part of the music business. If someone says, I want to do what Holger Peterson does, what would you advise? You know, the landscape has changed so much since Stony Plain started. And I think that overall, you just have to have an absolute commitment to doing it. It has to be what you want to do. It's what you spend, you know, almost 24 hours a day doing. If you're not actually working on a project, you're reading about the history of music, you're going down rabbit holes, finding out about really interesting people. And I think it's, it's, a, it, it's you have to be really drawn to wanting to do that. Also realizing that you're not, nece- not necessarily going to make a living at it or even do something beyond um, your passion. If you can get involved with college radio, if you can, you know, do online reviews, uh, just some kind of thing that has an outlet that might open doors for you. Nowadays, I don't know, you know, the whole social media thing I'm I'm not part of. So I, I really don't know what the platforms are and how you work into that. But I do know that it all starts with a love of music and a respect of music. Oh, I know that's true. I get this question asked a lot, and I think you're a better person to answer this than I am. How did blues become your passion since you're an Edmonton guy, grew up in the middle of Canada, and all of a sudden you have this incredible passion for blues? How did it grow? How was it nurtured? Well, for me, it was all part of the the British invasion, the first British invasion. And the blues kind of R&B acts that came along with that. I remember your love of the Kinks and the fact that uh, that you've written extensively uh, about the Kinks and has published you've published a lot of work uh, in that area. So congratulations on that. <laughs> I respect that. Uh, the Kinks were one of the great bands for me. Of course, it was you know the Kinks, the Stones, Manfred Mann. Uh, the Zombies, uh, Spencer Davis Group, uh, the Yardbirds. And so many others, Fleetwood Mac, that directed me to first-generation blues artists. Of course, the Stones covered songs by many Chicago blues artists. And, you know, you found out who um, Money Waters was and Howlin' Wolf and Otis Rush. And that led you to maybe Memphis. And that led you to the Mississippi Delta. You wanted to find out more about Money Waters. 
so one thing just led to another. And nowadays, it's so easy to follow that uh, progress uh, backwards. When you start going backwards in music, you find so many great artists, uh, so many interesting recordings and so many uh, interesting parts of of, uh, of history. It just opens up a lot of doors, a lot of cultural doors. It's not always just about the music either. You, you, you just learn a lot about a lot of different things. So for me, that's where it started was the British Invasion. I always thought growing up in Edmonton in the 60s was a very positive experience because there were so many uh, bands, uh, so many great players. Do you feel that connection? Uh, I think sometimes Winnipeg gets too much attention for the music scene it had. Edmonton was a great music scene as well. It certainly did. And we've always had CKUA for over 90 years. CKUA has been, you know, great alternative radio that was totally against the grain. So even in, in the 60s, and I discovered CKUA in the late 60s, probably 68, 69, that's when I started hearing blues on the radio for the first time as well. You know, you're right. Um, I'm a collector, record collector, book collector. So for me to go down to Jasper Avenue, um, you know, when I was in high school in the late 60s, and to find a couple of uh, stores that sold uh, jukebox 45s, you know, they they supplied the uh, the jukebox market in northern Alberta and Central America. There were two stores pretty much next to each other on Jasper Avenue around 97th Street, 96th Street. And those stores uh, were selling 45s in bins at five for a dollar. So on a Saturday afternoon, I would go down there and flip through and find these obscure records that were too obscure to go on the jukebox. But I had an interest in them and, and I would read about composers, you know, and it would say recorded in England or produced by George Martin or, you know, songs written by Lennon McCartney, whatever you'd, you'd, you'd find out about these things and, and start looking at these obscure singles and started maybe making sense of some of this. I know when you were talking about Hot Cottage, you mentioned Steve Boddington. Uh, he was a guitar player, and he used to play in a great band. I used to go and see them because they played so much blues. They were called St. James Infirmary. Mm -hmm. There were just a lot of bands to go and listen to at the time. Steve and I grew up in the same general uh, neighborhood, and then we were in high school together, and we became really great friends. Steve was an incredible musician during his high school years before he was in a band. And Steve and I, I was playing drums. Steve was playing guitar. You know, we, uh, we started uh, Hot Cottage together, and I was the original drummer for a while. But I wanted to get involved in production and other things. Lindsay Elmerich came along and replaced me and, and I have to say did a, a much better job. <laughs> uh, but Steve Boddington was somebody who had a huge effect on me and, and my taste. His parents uh, came from England and they would come back every once in a while and bring albums. Steve would, and I listened to the Who singles together for the first time and we became fanatical Who fans and nobody else in Edmonton had heard of the Who. Except for there was one band called uh, Graham and the Wafer. Right, right. Yeah, you remember this band? Jeff Ayers and I were in the same drafting class. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the band that influenced me the most. I used to go see them on weekends. You know, you're in high school, you hear about this band you really like, and they're playing at a community hall or another high school. 
I would be paying attention and I'd go to their gigs. They were doing kinks and who and obscurities. That really had a big effect on me. And, and to, the effect, to, the, to the end result of, they changed their name to Stony Plain after Graham Morehouse. Yeah, they became Stony Plain. Barry Allen was their singer. I continued mm -hmm. to follow them, but that was one of the reasons why I called the label Stony Plain Records mm -hmm. was because I thought that was another nice nod to them. And of course, the regional aspect of Stony Plain, you know, we are here on the edge of the prairies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice and cool. I understand. I wonder if you had have a sense of direction for Holger Peterson in the future. Are there some special projects you're going to be working on? I'm inspired to, to continue to do what I do. As far as the, uh, the projects go, I just got a sample uh, yesterday, in fact, just came in the mail of the New Moon Jelly Roll Freedom Rockers. It's volume two. It's coming out uh, in March, I think March 26 or 27. And that, to me, was just a very fulfilling project. And then it's coming out on vinyl, a double vinyl album oh. in June. So that's, that's fun. Well, you're down for one of those. Yeah, I, I just thought it was uh, a ter was terrific when it came out. I was going, holy mackerel, it's all these uh, people I like so much. And all of a sudden, this thing comes out uh, out of nowhere. It seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, for me, it was great because it came just as the pandemic hit. It was something to listen to, something to play on my show that was different. Now you've got volume two. And I think that's wonderful. And to be able to work with people like Charlie Musselwhite and Alvin Youngblood Hart, Jimbo Mathis, the Dickinsons, Luther Cody from the North Mississippi All-Stars, and their father who passed away, uh, Jim Dickinson, um, maybe the biggest legend of all of them. So Volume 2 is coming. That's been a fun project to work on. I think the most inspiring thing, uh, in addition to that recently, is we've just finished a, an album with Maria Moldar and a band called Tuba Skinny. They're a New Orleans street band, kind of like Preservation Hall, except a lot younger, hungrier and enthusiastic. Uh, they play in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Tuba Skinny are just a totally fun band. If you Google them, They've actually had, you know, millions of hits on some of their videos. So Maria was very inspired by them. I was in New Orleans last, just about a year ago now, and Maria was doing a showcase with them at the Folk Alliance convention. I was so impressed. I just loved it. And there was really nobody else doing this kind of thing. You know, Maria Moldar is a perfect singer for them. She's also a historian. She goes back oh, and yeah, finds yeah. amazing material that everybody has kind of overlooked over the years. So I knew of her enthusiasm, and I really wanted to do it. I think uh, in about four days in New Orleans, we went to see the band four times in various venues. It was just one of those uh, uh, real inspiring trips. Well, that sounds great. I'm a big Maria Maldara fan, and I'm looking forward to it. Do you plan on continuing with your radio show, Saturday Night Blues on CBC or Natural Blues on CKUA? I do, as long as they'll have me. Uh, my CBC contract, I think if they, it's renewed, you know, a year at a time. And I think this fall would start the 35th season wow. on CBC Radio, which is a long time to be on CBC uh, and I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity and the fact that they've uh, allowed me to do that.
And CKUA has been even longer. It's over 50 years now. <laughs> so, yeah, as long as they'll have me, uh, I, I'm honored to, uh, to, do, to do those radio shows. And I think, you know, when you were asking me about, uh, you know, inspiring projects and this and that, with this COVID thing and, and with the fact that uh, I've sold the Stony Plain administrative, uh, you know, the masters and this and that, so I don't have to worry about that part. It actually gives me more time to spend on my radio shows, which I enjoy doing, doing more research, uh, you know, going back through old interviews, uh, that sort of thing. I think it's just wonderful that Canada has somebody that comes on the radio for two hours every week and provides a very good education into the blues in this country. Makes me happy to be Canadian. Well, thank you very much. And and I'm proud of the fact that there's so much great Canadian blues. And the, the, the more you dig, the more you find. We play a lot of Canadian blues. We, uh, we, we go for a lot of obscurities too, but high quality stuff. I think the last time I saw you, we were standing at the side of the stage listening to Blue Moon Marquee, which is a band I've come to love living here in Victoria. I don't know anyone else who would play them except college radio and Saturday Night Blues. <laughs> and they are so good. And they are Albertans, aren't they? They are, yeah. They're nice people. I feel so bad for musicians right now, you know. I can whine that I can't get out to hear live music, but they can't go out and make a living. So any chance I get to push local bands, I take it. I agree. I, I feel the same way. I think it's like an obligation that, that we both have. We should be uh, paying back as much as we can yeah. and shining the light on, on Canadian and, and regional artists. It's great here because there's so many good players, so many nice players, uh, guys like Rob Edwards from Troika, uh, who lives here now, and he does a lot of work for uh, blues in Victoria. We're very lucky. Well, Rob is a dear friend of mine from, from many years ago, from the uh, you know almost high school time in, wow. in Edmondson. I was almost a roadie for Troika at one wow, point wow. <laughs> when they went off on their long tour to promote that first album. And they ended up, you know, traveling across North America, playing all the heralded venues. I almost went on that tour with him. It didn't didn't quite work out. Um, you know, I would have had to leave school. But I did actually, I did was a rodeo, a roadie at one of their gigs at the Kinsman Field House. And uh, yeah, Rob has just been um, wonderful. He's yeah. He's such a great guitar player and a wonderful, wonderful person. Yeah, he's tremendous right now. Is there any music you'd like to recommend to people listening to this show? You'd think, man, people got to hear this band, hear this musician. Well, I think if you go back, I've been listening to uh, Jelly Roll Morton. You know, that's going back like 100 years. And Jelly Roll Morton was an amazing artist who claimed to invent jazz, and, and he kind of did. He also has a very strong Vancouver connection. The Patricia Hotel in Vancouver, which is wow. still standing, has a place called Pat's Pub. Jelly Roll Morton played there between 1919 and 1921. You can still walk into the pub. I guess some of the floors and, and the, the bricks and that sort of thing are the same. I'm just going to say the more time you spend going back, the more uh, interesting it all is. Yeah, I was just checking something about Stony Plain, and I noticed that Ian Tyson was born in Victoria. I did not know that. 
Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. I hope to see you soon, and thanks for everything. Thank you.